to be a successful marketeer, you have to have two really important things. One, you have to be inventive and you have to learn how to work with constraints, whatever they are. And the second one, you cannot be successful without collaborating. This is Brand Story, a podcast celebrating the stories of real people who are making an impact on brands, business, and the world around them. My guest today is Patricia Corsi. Patricia is the Chief Marketing and Digital Officer for Bear Consumer Health. Welcome, Patricia. Um, thanks for being on the program today. It's a pleasure to be here. Really excited about our conversation to come. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed following you and, and uh, watching a lot of your content, and you give so many talks and have been the keynote at so many things. I've been a fan for a long time. Um, so I've read that you're... Uh, you're one of the only people that I know that have the dual roles of CMO and CDO at Bear at the same time. That's a, that's a big job. So what do you think the benefit of having both those roles are? Yes, it's very interesting because it was one of the things that attracted me to accept this role. Um, so I think the first thing is uh, at least the, the first barrier that you take out is that internal debate between marketing and the digital area. Yeah. So if we if we are being very honest, it's difficult to say that, you know, OK, let's talk the analog folks and then the digital folks. Right. So uh, this doesn't exist anymore. So I think the first thing it's very simple that, you know, there is no dispute for funds and resources. There is one aligned agenda and there is one force ahead. Um, so I think this was something that uh, really excited me in terms of focusing more externally. You know, because when you're thinking about the disputes of resources internally and et cetera, you're having much more internal focus where, you know, we should be all thinking about how do we serve our consumers? How do we make their lives better? How do we help our customers, et cetera? And this discussion doesn't happen in the office. So I think it was also very helpful to center the discussion where it matters. Because for the consumer, again, for them, there is no traditional marketing and digital marketing or traditional sales and digital sales. There is one thing is, I want to buy something. I either go to the e-commerce or I go to the store. It depends on what's my relationship with that purchase, right? Yeah. And marketing and communication would be the same. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a brilliant approach. And I think there aren't enough people doing it. Um, you know, the I've heard and read that you're media agnostic as well. And what do, you, what do you mean when you think of media being media agnostic? What do you think? Yeah, I think this is all part of an evolution, right? So I remember when I started marketing, it was always TV first. Yeah. The ideas had to be always TV first. And by the way, there were three things that you needed to do as a good marketeer, a TV campaign, a radio campaign, and an outdoor campaign. Um, <laughs> yep. Then we moved to something that people were saying digital first. Um, and I find these extremes, uh, they are not inclusive for the different circumstances and cultures across the globe. So wow. having an idea that is media agnostic means that whatever you are in the world, depending on how people consume communication and media, the idea should be able to go in the different touch points. So having an idea that is, for example, um, digital first and only, uh, in a country where still 80% of the consumption is on TV, might not be very much consumer-driven, right? So I think this media agnostic one, first, I think, liberates the, the creatives because sometimes I, I am a big fan of, uh, you know, direct, 
outdoor cinema i still you know have a lot of passion because there are some ideas that they just work brilliantly on these uh, channels and if you start thinking only mobile or or just first mobile and ignore the rest the first thing you start thinking about the golden rules sound off and sound you know and and, and soundtrack have such an important uh, factor if you think i remember i i in brazil you know i'm brazilian were people that first heard about elvis young people because of a nike tv commercial right uh, you know, a little less conversation is not an Elvis song, it's a Nike song. Yeah, right. This is the power of music, and, and there are many other examples that we could talk about it and how this, you know, this moves lots of different industries. But I think having this mindset of, you know, give me an idea that can work in different channels. So if we are talking to a team in Malaysia, if we're talking to a team in Canada or in Argentina, they could relate to it because it fits what is their needs currently in the market to serve the consumer this is this is basically it yeah that's that's wonderful to hear because that sort of that integrated ap approach and letting the letting the audience dictate what media to use makes a ton more sense and i love what you said about audio because you know when it's appropriate and when you can lean on audio that way it's very emotional and you Absolutely. know people buy emotionally so being able to reach them in the media that they're consuming is really the only way to go. So it's really interesting. I think it's great that you've gotten rid of those silos and you're able to integrate and use traditional where it makes sense and digital where it makes sense. And look, we have to we have to at least try, right? Because it's one thing is, you know, hope is not the strategy. So, so we hope that by briefing uh, like this, we are going to get the output. But if you don't even start the conversation, then for sure you're not going to get it. So. I would say probably in 50% in of the cases, we get really cool things. It's still in 50% of the cases, we get the first thing we get is a TV app. Yeah, right. I think this is still going to take a, a long time. And especially after COVID, where there was this resurgence of the screen, not just traditional TV, but, you know, streaming and on demand, etc. Um, there, there is this still this fall back on imagining everything as a 30 second ad and uh, and i think it's going to take probably another decade um to change that but i think we are in the right path yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean people connect with that type of story the sort of you know cinematic storytelling it's what we're all the most used to so that default isn't going to go away easily for sure it's going to stick around and be stubborn i watched your keynote um at marketing leader at the marketing leader summit and uh, it was on purpose as a priority. And I really love that. I love the title and I love what you had to say. Can you, can you talk, speak to um, how you think a brand's purpose should inform its marketing? So thank you very much for watching, by the way. Um, I really enjoyed um, that session as well. So look, I think if, if we start from the beginning, uh, the most important thing is to make sure that we have clear strategies. We have informed strategies that come from the right places, you know, consumer-centric, customer-centric, that adds value to the consumer, the customers, and the shareholders. If, if we are having strategies that deliver against that, I think we are doing a good service overall. Um, the purpose for me is, is that red line that guides you on what are the things that your brand is entitled to talk about or not entitled to talk about genuinely and authentically, right? 
because I think this is also a very testing time for marketeers because it feels like every brand needs to talk about every single topic, even when there is absolutely no correlation. Like how many COVID ads you have seen where when a brand that had nothing to do with anything was saying we are on this together, you know, hang in there. And and people see through those things, right? So I, I think that the role of purpose is really it's really, you know, how do you use it to add value to the people that you're serving? So I can give you immense examples in, in different uh, in, in different categories, but let me pick one that is outside of the ones that I work today. So if I pick, for example, foods, you know, fast moving consumer good foods, there is a, mice, a massive crisis in both ends of the spectrum, right? So we still have a lot of people starving and we still have a lot of food being thrown away. There's, there is food enough that is being thrown away that could feed everyone that is starving. This is something that if you have a brand in foods that was born out of purpose to feed the nation, to provide good nutrition, if you're not doing anything about it, you're not living your purpose genuinely and authentically. And actually not doing anything is worse. Yeah. Because you know what I mean? So you because you it takes courage to do some of this movement. So when I was working for Dirty's Good, for example, um, a laundry brand where it's all about getting dirty because detergent clean. And we start talking about how dirt was good. It was so counterintuitive. But getting dirty is part of learning and kids without the dirt, without the stumbles, without the falls, they will never develop to be brilliant human beings. And even with their health, right? Because you build the human system by, you know, playing with, uh, you know, with dirt and sand and all of those things. So the brands who were born out of purpose, and there is a, a wealth of brands in that area that do not take a stand, they are actually as guilty as the ones that are trying to take a stand on something that is not authentic. Um, but the ones that are trying to do something just to jump on the on the wagon, they get a worse rep. But at least, and I'm going to say probably something a bit controversial, I commend I commend them for at least trying, because it's you know there is no playbook, there is no blueprint that says step one, step two, step three to a life in purpose for your brand, right? So at least they are trying at least they are doing something to try to deliver this value added uh, for me the ones who have everything and not doing anything for me these are the ones that are really find difficult to to understand yeah i agree with that and i think what you said about being authentic from the point of view of joining a conversation when it's appropriate and not just joining in on everything and you know the other part of that is if you don't stand for something you don't stand for anything. You've got to you've got to take a stand somewhere. You know, I, I always think of brands. What are you for and what are you against? You know, there's got to be some polar, polarization there of how what position you're taking. And uh, I I love the we could talk all day about the get dirty work you did the <laughs> campaign. I love that. That's some of the best work I've seen. So, what is one key piece of advice that you wish more brands would follow? Well, I think I think we were we were. Um, it, you know, navigating a little bit in this area, it is really to build up um, courage. Uh, and I, I think you said something super important that is sometimes saying what you don't stand for and what stand 
is as important as what you stand for. But this takes courage to make a stand. And so my, the way I'm going to express this, we need to be average. Because sometimes the brands want to be everything to everyone and they end up being nothing to everyone. So I think there is a lot of respect yeah, for brands that they, they stand for something and they are firm into that, even if that is not your personal area of passion. Um, but there is that respect for the courage for, you know, it's not, I think we cannot think that brands are not like people in a way, right? So we respect people that take a stand. Of course, take a stand respectfully, take a stand, you know, Sometimes saying what you believe in, what you stand for, doesn't mean attacking someone else. And I think the tonality is important. Yeah, absolutely. Have the courage to to try to make a stand. If you make a mistake, have the courage to come back and say, you know, we blew it, um, but we learned. This is what we have learned. And and I think this would make um, I think would make better, um, more informed um, consumers about what the brands stand for. Um, versus that average vanilla you know let's please everyone <laughs> appeal to everyone yeah i mean when people are like that they're pretty uninteresting and you know when you if you think of a brand as a person be it's so hard for brands to be themselves sometimes and they want to weigh in on everything and just they make themselves meaningless and you cannot talk with property about every single subject and and i and and how many brands do we see today that they want to talk, you know, whatever is the, the cultural relevant topic, you know, LGBTQ, all, all Black Lives Matter, um, you know, uh, female payment in sports, you know, whatever is happening, they want to make because they want to be part of all the conversations. And, and sometimes people look and say, you know, you sell toilet paper, what do you have to do with that? And there are moments, you know, I, I, and by the way, there are some fantastic toilet paper uh, campaigns now that they found the thing that they do, which I, I think it's it's amazing. But um, I think this is it. I think finding, you know, have the courage to be what you are. And, and unless I think you are water, you're not going to please everyone. You're not going to be, you know, unless you're a water sleep, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think that uh, not playing cause bingo, I think is really important. You see a lot of brands do that, just jump from one to another to another. And I really admired the brands, you know, every, during the height of the pandemic, you know, there are a lot of brands, including yours, that didn't jump on the, we're all in this together message, which is just so broad. And, and that, that idea of being authentic to join the conversation when it matters the most to who you are, you know, and you're a consumer health brand. And so the things you talk about involve health and wellness and, and the things that we would expect, just like if you were a person, if you were, you know, a person who was really into health, I would probably have conversations with you about health. So it makes a lot of sense. You've done so much incredible work. I've, I've looked at so much of your work and I'm just such a huge fan. Is there a particular campaign from your career that you're most proud of? Is there anything that just jumps out at you? Well, if, if we think brand as people, I love all, all my people. Um, I've, uh, probably I would choose one because it's, it's very old, but it couldn't be more relevant from um, 
way of leading point of view. Um, at the beginning of my career, I got given, I was, you know, uh, awarded with the baking powder brand. Huh? Imagine baking powder brand. Yeah, good luck. And it, good luck. It was a cash cow. It paid 60% of the whole salary of the company. At that point, it was Kraft Foods before Mondelez. So it, it was that thing that the salesperson says, you know, the best thing that we can do is not to have a marketing person because it sells itself, right? Right, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I, so I had very little funds, um, very little top of mind. You know, I was competing with, uh, you know, confectionery and, and uh, beverages and, and snacks. Um, but I was, I had enthusiasm and I had um, one thing that always worked well for me was um, inventiveness and connection. Um, so I said, okay, so I understand I don't have the money. I understand that I don't have the priorities, but okay, what can I do with constraints? So the first thing I did, and this was the beginning when we were using emails and all of this. So this is the beginning of 2000. And um, I discovered there were other two countries in the world that had the same big business, but also a cash cow business. One in South Africa, another one in Uruguay. Um, they were exactly in the same place as I was. They, they didn't have enough money for them. Um, so there was no global team. There was no one to connect us. So this was pure out of, you know, how how do I sort for that? And um, what happened? Of course, we put together all our money and we did. It was 120 years old anniversary. It was something really emblematic. Um, and it's one of the things that I'm most proud because I've learned something very important there that is to be a successful marketeer, you have to have two really important things. One, you have to be inventive and you have to learn how to work with constraints, whatever they are. And the second one, you cannot be successful without collaborating. And it, it can be in this case with colleagues that I've, by the way, I never saw face to face. There were no video calls. It was just plain old fixed telephone line. Um, and until today, I, I look at that and I said, if I could, if I had done that, then I, I'm sure I can do something similar for the current constraints. So uh, it's probably not the best campaign that I have done, but it's the one that uh, taught me a lot and that I used a lot of collaboration in COVID during COVID times, uh, inventiveness uh, within, you know, constraints. So it's still today, I, I'm, I'm talking more than 20 years later, it still helps me. Yeah, it sounds like that's, you know, those those early experiences when you're faced with a challenge like that really form your style and who you are and how you operate. And, uh, you know, great marketers are always really inventive and think on their feet and are great at connecting, whether it's connecting dots of like, oh, this this might go with that or connecting with people and getting a yes of some sort like, yeah, let's collaborate. Speak to ideas, yeah. to insights, and transform into a new idea. I completely agree with you. Yeah, it's all, it's the fun. It's the fun and the passion of marketing. It's what gets us up every day. It's just a blast. Um, so there's one more recent one that I'm a really big fan of. You know, it wasn't in my market. I went and found it because I heard you talking about it, and I I looked at it, and I just think it's brilliant. It's just one of the best examples of health education marketing that I've seen on the Vagina Academy work that you all did in South America. It's such a positive example of content marketing. 
How did that campaign come to life? It's one example of um, collaboration again. Uh, I do for many years something called Creative Unleash, where I, I tell my creative partners, I said, you know, twice or three times a year, bring me the ideas that you wouldn't dare to bring to the teams, that people have told you to go out, you know, out of this room, uh, you know, because they were so edgy, they were so, um, you know, even daring in a sense that you were afraid of doing it. It has no briefing. It's just they, because they are our partners, they know what are the problems, the human problems that we are trying to solve. That's a great way to do it. And, and look, it started, by the way, I uh, to, to give credit where credit is due. When I was working for Unilever, I was working with this amazing agency uh, called Adam and Eve uh, from the DDB group. And um, when I was, and they used to do the Marmite campaigns that are famous globally uh, for me. And then um, one day I was leaving the office and one of the creatives said, um, I have one idea, but if I show you, the brand manager will kill me. Uh, because of course he had showed the brand manager, the yeah. brand manager said, no, this is crap. So showing to the boss was going to be, you know, a break of relationship. That's a great way to know you want to see this idea too. Of course, now I want to see the idea. I said, okay, yeah. uh, I meet you by the the, the loose, the bedroom uh, door. And, and then I discovered that, you know, it was not just there, but everywhere there was this uh, ideas that were in the drawer. Um, ideas that the creatives will have, they would either don't feel like they had the openness to present or they didn't have, or they present and they were shut down. But there is this wealth of wonderful ideas. So it started with that and Vagina Academy came from all our partners, um, a, a fantastic uh, agency called Analog Folks uh, based out of the UK with offices globally. And it was really to help us to solve one big problem that we had. How do we break the taboo on women's intimate health? And um, and I have to say, when, when I first heard it, because this is one of the things about it, we don't test. When they set their ideas, I take full accountability for that if they're successful, if they are failure. But you have to feel it if they are, you know, if they're good. But sometimes to be good, they need to be provocative. And I remember the first time I showed to one or two people, they said, Oh, this is so good, but shouldn't we, let's take the vagina word out. And I said, well, but this is the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is that we need to be able to say that and not be exactly. afraid of it. Exactly. So, so it started with that. And then it was, again, a fantastic work of collaboration with the TikTok, uh, TikTok team uh, in Latin America. We uh, managed with them to uncensor the word vagina because how can you do Vagina Academy? If the word vagina is censored in TikTok, all those things that you discover that we have unlocked a wealth of conversation for women intimate health just by uncensoring vagina. So now women can talk about vagina health in TikTok because now the word is not, they don't have to work, you know, to write with the numbers and, and, and other things to try to to trick the, the algorithm. So, so this started with that. And of course, uh, I felt particularly very passionate because it's, it started in my home country in Brazil, where I know this is a massive taboo. Uh, you know, imagine that two thirds of women, they would not talk to their doctors about it. Yeah. You know, there, there are certain cultures where, you know, you have different taboos and different, especially around health and medicine and, and self-care. And so I just applaud you all because that is the most 
And especially, well, everyone that worked on it, of course, but you for having the bravery of going, no, we're not going to make it, make it to where everyone's going to like it. We're not going to dumb it down. We're going to, we're going to figure out how we can say this and keep saying it. And, and by the way, talking about collaboration and courage again, the Brazilian team was amazing because you know all those ideas they will never come to life if you don't have a team in the country that says you know what we are going to we are going to be behind it um so now a big shout out to the team in in latin america because they were absolutely amazing and they didn't invest one second in trying to see how to mask it out but just to make it bigger and yeah and now you know we are in the UK, we are in Italy, we are moving to another three regions. And and so, yes, I'm feeling um, overwhelmed with joy because we have delivered the equivalent to 17,000 classes on intimate health education just in Brazil. And, and even the educational system in Brazil would have never done that in a, in a matter of four months. So marketing is doing the job of uh, government in some ways and education. And, you know, the, a lot of times education is the best marketing. When you can engage people and they learn, they remember you, and you're actually offering authentic value. You're not just selling. Especially in health. If you were to ask me what was the once big silver lining in after COVID for all the health industry is that you had to stop and to think about how do you humanize science and help the consumer to navigate in these difficult times where if someone in your house sneezes, you don't know if it's an allergy, if it's a cold, if it's a flu, or if it's COVID, right? And uh, and this was a moment for, for I think, a a, a great opportunity for the industry to refocus back on serving because it was a moment where everyone was open you know it was the first one i think in three years where brand trust start increasing back again versus years of decline because people were expecting the brands overall in all industries to help them to navigate these times and it was a moment where specifically on health People were a bit lost. Do, how do I build my immune system? You know, just I just eat as much oranges, as many oranges as I can. Uh, but then somebody said that I have to have zinc. What the heck is you know zinc has to do with? It was, it was overwhelming. So, so I think these are the things that you know from an educational. I think educational will will save the world eventually. Um, but I think from a, a marketing point of view on health, it has been a massive transformation uh, uh, ignition or, or, you know, gasoline in, in the past uh, 12, two years. Yeah. And, you know, it's, the moment is perfect for that and so needed because you, you're actually serving the audience, not selling. And you're, they have an authentic need and you're there and you're the perfect, you're capable and you're ready and you're honest and the messages that are out there are actually helpful. And that's great marketing. Whenever you're actually helping, it's great marketing. Exactly. So the first time I, I started to connect with you and follow, you know, your posts and what you say and looking at your speeches and different things, you had done a talk, I think, on AdAge about putting your own oxygen mask on first. And it was the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, I was going through what you were going through. And that's when you and I connected. And can you tell me a little bit about what you meant by that and why the time 
why that came out of that and you felt like it was a message you needed to deliver? Yes, I think the, the first thing I'm, I'm going to be very open and vulnerable. I've always heard that message on planes and I thought this is the most stupid thing ever. I will always give the mask to my son and to my husband first. I'm good to go uh, the, as the third one, that's, that's fine. Um, I've never realized uh, until we start this crisis that if something is to happen to me, it will devastate them. My friends, my family, um, you know, the team that is counting on me. Um, so I've, I thought I was being very selfless, uh, but actually I was, I was not being, um, I was not taking the full account of my responsibility. And this was the first time that I took the courage, that I had the courage to say that out loud. Out loud. Um, because I've, I had for months in my head, I, you know, what are the things that I'm doing to put, to make sure that I'm at my best self, to help my family, my friends, and my team to navigate through this time. So I had that a couple of months in my head, but I wouldn't dare, being very, very honest and vulnerable, to say it out loud. And when we had that conversation on, on Adweek, it was the first time I said it out loud. And it was, I was in, I was incredibly impressed with the positive reaction from everyone. Um, it was that I, I, I had that thinking, what would I say if I was, what would I do? What would I say it was if I was not afraid? Um, but I was, you know, when I said that, I was, I was really afraid of being judged. Um, and actually, you know, uh, life is it's beautiful as it is. And, and actually, it was all the contrary. Until this date, I have people coming to me saying, you know, hearing you talking about that helped me to realize things differently. It really helped me navigate through that time. So that was my own journey. And, and, and I remember talking about being authentic and living your purpose. Um, you know, here I was um, being the chief marketing and digital officer of consumer health company, not taking care of my own health as I should. Yeah, so it was a really moment of truth for me that resonates into my team. And, and just a, a minute ago, you were talking about, you know, great marketeers, they connect with people, with their teams, with their brands, etc. And this was a great uh, reminder of the passion for marketing and about connectivity. Because the other thing that I did is, okay, let me just try to understand how the different people from my team across the globe are feeling at this moment in time. Because we, we tend to think that, you know, and because of all these messages, we are all on this together, etc. Everyone is living such different lives. You know, we are in a life stage and when you have kids, you know, you have built a career that allow you to have a comfortable house with a garden. There are, you know, young upper coming people in the team. They're just starting their life. And like I started mine, live in a very small apartment or share apartment with another four people. And they are living in lockdown in, in, 10, in 10 square meters and, and you cannot compare the experience. Uh, you cannot compare the burden on mental health of people that have their families around and people that are doing it on, alone. That is such a wise, empathic way to think about it. And I remember reading when you had talked about that a little bit in connection to the put your oxygen max on first. And 
you know, people like to say, oh, we're all in this together. But in a way, yes, but it's very, very individual. Like one person might be going through something so difficult on one day while someone else is like, okay, I feel supported and I'm okay. And that kind of leadership I think is just extraordinary. And, it, you know, when you put that message out, that meant a lot to me at that moment too because I think people who are in charge are perhaps not the best at taking care of themselves during a crisis. You know, they want to take care of everybody else and they get run down and they start to lose it. And uh, so your message meant a lot to me too. So thank you for that. I'm very glad to hear that. And um, and yes, look, um, ultimately you said it right. So we were all living COVID in different shapes and forms together, but the experience was very unique and personal. Um, so I think finding things that will, would unite us was really important on that journey. What were the things that would unite us and then we you know, dialed up our passion for learning. We dialed up our passion for serving. So we start dialing up those things while in parallel being very respectful because there were people that were really struggling and they needed a different support for their mental health. So we were creating also, you know, some tools and, and some on-demand programs for meditation, for example, we start creating a couple of things that people didn't felt exposed and they could use on their own leisure. You really started prioritizing your team's mental and emotional well-being. Well, we have to do, right? Because it's, um, yeah, you know, I think this is the moment of humanity again. Uh, I don't know. I think there is, I, I can't imagine doing anything different. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I honestly like, um, it's just so interesting who you connect with during times like this and who inspires you. And I, I think you probably don't know it, but I think you've inspired a lot of other marketers because you were so honest and you were so vulnerable. And I really, I authentically appreciate that because it meant a lot to me. I've followed you ever since. And it's just so, so wonderful talking to you today. Um, so what do you think is a common myth that exists about workplace culture or employee well-being now that you've done all this work? This perception that um, the company knows what's best for you, I think it's a bit outdated. Um, it's very difficult and I think it's an impossible job for any company to know what's best for every individual. So I think one concept that has to change and I, I really invite and welcome people to take more ownership or, or their lives or their careers and what they need instead of just waiting for you know your manager to come to you and and offer help or or offer solutions you know say what you need um you know what is what is that you need from this company from this team from your leader that will help you to be at your best um you know professionally, personally, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. Um, so I think I think this is one myth that I would love um, to, to change that people really don't think, you know, companies are not, uh, you know, this know-all CEO that can discover what you're facing, you're living, and, and especially with all the the new regulations and laws for all the good reasons on privacy sometimes you cannot even ask something so if you are facing something that is 
is too much for you, it's hard for you, if you need help, if you not feeling value, speak up. That's that's a wonderful way to look at it. And uh, I think that's great advice for, for employees and it's great advice for managers to create a space for that, to create a safe space for people to be able to speak up when they need to. Because you're right, no company can just be like, this is what you need, one size fits all. So what do you think has had the most impact on your role as a leader in the last couple of years? I think probably one thing that I would um, recommend everyone to do is um, living abroad. Um, it's, um, it, it changes you in a way um, that is uh, quite unique. Um, being exposed to cultures that are so different than yours, having to build new relationships, um, adapt to the new communities, um, build new friends, understand the schooling system, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the most basic stuff, um, it, it, it gives you a level of agility, flexibility, that I think it serves you for everything in life. Um, so I, I would probably say that what shapes the most my my leadership is those different experiences that I had while, while living abroad, and I'm now doing it for almost 15 years. That's wonderful. I think, you know, and, and if you can't live abroad, I will add, go travel and try to do it whenever you can, because experiencing other cultures gives you perspective and it makes you realize how the same we are and how different we are at the same time. And I think that's a, a wonderful advice, especially for marketers, because if you're not a lifelong learner and intensely curious about the human condition, you're not going to be a very good marketer. I agree. And, and I think you said it beautifully. Not, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's an important thing. Not everyone has the opportunities uh, to, to live abroad. But opening up your mind, you know, having diverse friends, uh, sometimes yeah. just going to a restaurant with a cuisine that is different than yours, it already opens different views of the world. Traveling, if, you, if your budget is constrained and you cannot travel as well, you can talk to people from those countries. Something incredible today in some, some countries, I don't know um, all of them, but uh, people can Google it. Um, there are some uh, human libraries where there are people oh, yeah. that will go to libraries and they will talk to people about their lives, their cultures, and, and, and these are people that they can be refugees, uh, they can be from a religion that is different than yours, they can have a sexual preference that is different than yours. So um, I think there is never an excuse uh, to not, you know, this is life with constraints that we were talking before, right? Yeah, so right. maybe you don't have the funds, you don't have the opportunity. It doesn't mean that you cannot open up your mind and open up your your experience and the way you see the world. Uh, you just have to look for it. Um, Google is a wonderful machine. <laughs> it is. I think you can learn so much from other people. I love the suggestion of the the living libraries. I've I've heard of that and I haven't taken advantage of it yet, but. You know, I find with the marketers I work with or the, the people that I end up hiring, I always look for people who are endlessly curious and especially about other human beings and how people live. And because that really is what makes you a good storyteller or a good marketer. 
So I have a question that kind of goes with that. Um, and we're, we've got a few more questions, then I'll let you get back to your very busy day. Um, uh, this is a sentence for you to finish. If you weren't a marketer, what would you be? Oh, very easy. I would be a chef. It's my family tradition, just for it not to be something that is out of fashion or because there is uh, a lot of uh, famous chefs. So my grandfather was a chef. He had a hotel. I was raised in the kitchen of his hotel. My father had restaurants, so I was, I had aprons before I had those. And I, I, I think this is what I would do. It's a very hard life. I have tremendous respect for, for chefs, but uh, this is absolutely what I would do. I love that answer. And it's still a very creative endeavor. Indeed. And uh, you know, the, the, one of the, the reason I love that answer personally is that I grew up working in restaurants and I worked as a waiter and a bartender in front of house and everything. And actually, even when I hire people, I'm always really excited if they've been in service of some sort, because if you've worked in a restaurant, you travel. I mean, all the different people that come in, the food, the cuisines, depending on what type of restaurant it is, it is a journey and it is very, very good for you to have to deal with all the different situations that come your way. So that's really interesting and a really cool answer because it's still a, being a chef is a very creative endeavor. You have, I'm sure, a lot you could recommend and I've got two last questions. What do you, from your point of view for other marketers right now, what do you think is a must read or a must watch or listen? What would you recommend that people dig into? Okay, I'm going to have a formal answer and then I'm going to give my genuine answer, okay? I think that's my genuine answer. I think this has been such an intense year um, and my best recommendation for everyone at the end of this year um, is just watch cool things, relax. You know, I just spent last weekend watching James Bond, Marvel, really, you know, really relaxing and enjoying um, and, and not thinking too much, let me say in this way. Um, and I, I intend to have the end of the year holidays catching up in a lot of series that I didn't have the, the chance to watch. Um, from a professional point of view, um, I think there are a couple of, of things that have been our books that I keep coming back to. Um, the first one is on leadership, why anyone should be led by you. I think this was something that um, I keep coming back to. It's uh, very, very good. Um, the second uh, book is one specifically probably for females um, or not. Um, but there was, I would recommend uh, females to read this younger than older. Uh, that is, what got you here is not going to get you there. I think this is an, a really interesting one. And why I mentioned females, because, you know, in, in marketing specifically, where we never have an issue of diversity in terms of gender, there is still a lot of women that we lose in a certain time in their career. Uh, when they're about to pivot to bigger roles. And, and I yeah. think this is a book that can really give some uh, enlightenment on how it's important that you keep, you know, evolving your leadership style and, and the way you lead uh, to, to get to this, this bigger and broader roles. 
there is one um, that for me it's on purpose because we are discussing purpose that I keep coming back uh, that is who care wins and it's uh, from the, um, the previous CEO of the Harvest Group if I'm not wrong because there is another book that I think it's a fiction that is like that so it's not this one it's one from the Financial Times with the blue cover just to be very specific and it talks about the journey uh, for brands for purpose and, and how we can have capitalism and purpose living at the same place. And, uh, and I think this was one of the, the first things that you have to get your head around that, you know, because there are some people when they start talking about purpose, they all say, OK, I'm, I have to work for a not for profit, etc., because one thing doesn't go to another, and I, I think this is a, a, a missed concept. So these are three books that I, I keep seeing myself going back to. Uh, I have to say that like you, I'm, I'm an eternal learner. And um, one thing that I would say as a, as a last comment in terms of do, read, watch, and, and listen is every year i do at least one external uh, training on an area that makes me very uncomfortable so i don't know it can be cryptocurrency it can be cybersecurity in a way because you know from a digital point of view these were the areas where i had the least experience or it can be something completely different like merger and acquisitions um like i've done some years ago so I think it's important. It keeps you fresh. And uh, and by the way, again, you get to know a lot of interesting people doing this as well. Uh, we shouldn't underestimate the power of connecting with uh, with different people on those trainings. Those were the best recommendations. Those just make my day. Um, the you know the one of just relax and watch some movies and don't try to push yourself all the time at the end of the year. Here, I love that. I think I'm going to take that advice this weekend and watch some Marvel and James Bond. And uh, for doing deep dives on things that make you uncomfortable, um, I think you, uh, you and I have that in common. I just did like a four-day deep dive into NFTs and just drove myself mad. So last question, if you could give yourself, your younger self, any advice, what would it be? Be kinder to yourself. That would be it. Um, you know, be as kind to yourself as it is to the people that you love the most. Um, and I don't know if this is, um of course you know i'm i'm from latin america um i'm a woman i'm a breadwinner and i've i've always been very hard uh, on myself um and and sometimes i think it it helps tremendously to be kind uh, with yourself because there is a lot of uh, already uh, a lot of difficulties on the way i feel I feel extremely fortunate uh, for everything that I have um, I have received in life. So these are the two, probably the two things. Be kind to yourself and always be grateful. Those are wonderful. And the be, the be kind to yourself advice is absolutely amazing. I think that could help everyone. Um, people tend to care for others and not care for themselves. And I think if we can all take that away from this episode. I think that's the most positive message in, at this time that you could come up with. So thank you so much for being here today. I had just a, I could talk to you all afternoon, but I know you have an awful lot to do. 
But thank you so much for making time for this, Patricia. I really appreciate it. Likewise, I really enjoy, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And this is exactly what happened. Suddenly it's dark outside here in Switzerland and I haven't seen time pass. So thank you so much for, for your generosity, for inviting me, for your questions and for your, you know, kind words and support. Um, it means a lot to me as well. So I really appreciate it. Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story.